Guys, bless my socks off as we say in the hills where I'm from. Uh, thank you for that. Um, all the music. Uh, you know, Rachel, Betty, I, I, I wanted to make music like you guys. I, I, I tried the guitar and I learned the chords, but I couldn't get the music out. And I asked a friend of mine, I said, how do you do that who's a musician? He said, you just do it. I said, just do it. I can't do it. He said, you just do it. I said, that doesn't work for me. It works for you guys. Thank you so much for blessing us. My wife's laughing at me because I got the Kleenex wiping the tears off. But you know what, guys? It is. I believe this. It's a strong man who's willing to, to cry for our God. And I just love him. And I know you guys do too. And so, and we'll thank the kids. There's something about a kid worshiping Jesus that just heads me toward the Kleenex box. I want to thank you, both of you. All right, guys, we are in the, the book of Ecclesiastes. Been there a while, haven't we? But we're in chapter 8. Titled this, Getting Along with the Government. I think it's interesting with Trevor and his family here today, but uh, I'd throw it out there. I want to look at verses, uh, we're going to look at the whole chapter, but I want to read verses 2 through 8 this morning. And so I'm going to ask you, when you find that, to stand in God's honor as I read aloud and to follow along. Starting at verse 2 of Ecclesiastes 8. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a man's misery weighs heavily upon him. Let's pray. Master, here we are again, God. We are empty, fill us, Lord. We are needy, love us. God, there's different stuff going on among the Kingsway body today and among those here. Lord, I just pray that you just show yourself strong, God, because we need you, Lord. And I pray that you just uh, fill me with your Spirit and spill me among your people, God. For your glory, Lord, we need you, Lord. And I've been blessed already. I thank you for Roy's comment, God, of it's okay to have fun. And God, we want to have fun, Lord. We don't want to look like we've been baptized in pickle juice, God. We want to leak Jesus everywhere and your joy. And God, I just pray you help us not always look at the bad, but remember we have the one who is all good, who lives in us. His name is Jesus. And I pray that Jesus shines here today. Lord, have your way. In your name we ask. Amen. Uh, I remember uh, years ago when I got out of school and Cindy and I, actually, guys, we graduated in December, got married in January, had started a position at a church in February, and of course we had to move and everything going. And as a, working with teenagers, I wanted to go into a school and to eat lunch with the students. And I remember back then they had a deal, separation of church and state. You know, the, the church, the principal was saying, you can't come in here. 
And I wrote this letter. We think, well, this won't have any impact. But I wrote a letter to the principal, and I said, you know, it's separation of church and state, not isolation of church and state. You know, God's not a bad thing to have around. And so anyway, I was shocked. The principal said, well, come on, eat lunch with them. So I had that opportunity to go and to eat lunch with some students. And, you know, that's we hear that all the time, this uh, separation of church and state. Almost like it's in the Constitution, but it's not. So where, does, where did that come from? Well, you can trace it back to 1801, Thomas Jefferson, newly elected president, and the Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut wrote to him and said, I am praying for you, or we are praying for you as a people. Uh, we believe in you, President, Jeff- uh, uh, President Jefferson, and uh, we want to encourage you, but we have a fear. We're afraid that freedom to worship God is treated more like a favor than an inalienable right. And we want to make sure that the government doesn't try to control how we worship God and our convictions about God. And so the president wrote this letter back to which we get this phrase. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legislative powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law representing an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of conscience, I shall see with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man all his natural rights, convinced he has no natural right in opposition to his social duties. I reciprocate your kind prayers for the protection and blessing of the common Father and Creator of men, and tender you for yourselves in your religious association, assurances of my high respect and esteem. More than ever, this land that we live in needs to know about God. And how are they going to see God except through these frail people known as you and me? God works not through strength, but through weakness of someone who just loves Him. Someone who's just honest before Him. The world is starved to see people that love the Lord and who are real. Who can laugh and who can joke and who can have fun, but have a passion for the one who matters. Guys, there's such a need for that. Religion's not just to be stopped up in a place where we gather for church. Religion needs to be a relationship with Jesus Christ that infiltrates God's people and leaks out of them. And we talk about it all the time and there's such a critical need for that. We don't need to be just here. We need to be there. Church doesn't need to stop once the service ends. Actually, it should just continue right on out where we go because our worship should be wherever we are. We're called to worship God with a whole heart in everything that we do. To the glory of God, we're to do it, guys. Uh, in the 5th century, there was a guy named Simeon who everybody thought was really holy. Uh, he, he lived in the middle of the desert 
And he, he, he climbed up on top of this little platform, this little pinnacle where he sat most of the time. He'd come down to get food and stuff, but he sat up there most of the time to show he was holy to God. And he wore these really humble clothes. And people would come out there and they'd say, Man, that's Simeon. He is sold out to Jesus. Look at him sitting up on that little board, that little pinnacle. Well, this French guy came out there and he said, Man, that's Simeon. He's really cool. He really loves Jesus. I want to be like him. So he went home. He took a stool. He put it on the kitchen table. He went to his bedroom. He put on the most humble clothes he could find. And he sat up there trying to be holy, contemplating what it's like to be sold out to God. Well, his family came home and they said, What are you doing? He said, I'm being holy. I'm being sold out to God. And they looked at him and said, You're a nut. Well, he went back and, and, and he, he wrote, he said, he wrote these words. I soon perceive that it is a difficult thing to be a saint while living with your own family. It is tough to be real. It's more than just looking holy. Being holy just means loving Jesus and being honest before Him and letting Him work in your life. Jesus said this in His prayer that's recorded in John 17. This is verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. God doesn't want us to be disconnected from this crazy world. He wants us to be connected so that people can see Him. Guys, people are starved to know that they're loved. And and you can be an instrument that shows them that. That's God's heart for you. Not to be disconnected from this government and this world, but to be connected to Jesus. Um, you know, we talk about Uncle Sam as we talk about the United States. I guess as we look at this section of Scripture, we could say Uncle Solomon because he was the head of the government. He was the sovereign king. He was the one who called the shots. Um, and as we look at here uh, in verse 2 here, where it says, Obey the king's command, I say this because you took an oath before God. The Israelites would come before the king And both would make an oath to God. The king made an oath before God that he would serve the people rightly and correctly and that he would follow God's ways. And the people made an oath that they too would follow God, but that they would submit to the king. They were to be submissive to the king's ways, to the leadership of the government. This is from 2 Kings 11, verse 17. Jehoiada then made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. He also made a covenant between the king and the people. It is bringing God into an allegiance of a country. That's what they were doing. And that's what we do, you know, in our pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. What? One nation under God. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. You see, there was definitely a time when our country was founded and and a time as as our country was seeking to come together and to grow where people said, you know, we need God. We need Him to be in our midst. We need His presence and we need His ways or we're going to self-destruct. And that's what happens to to governments and to to nations, to to peoples, is they self-destruct when God is taken out. And we understood that. 
In Romans 13, we're talked about submitting to God. Listen to the first couple of verses here. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So to be able to say, well, I'm not going to listen to government. I'm not going to follow all these rules. Guys, government is established as God's instrument to restrain evil. We have these laws to, to keep evil from, from taking over a society. There needs to be restraint. And, and God calls us and He tells us, listen to these laws, listen to these leaders. Pray for them, submit to them, follow them. God has placed them there. Remember when Jesus appeared before Pontius Pilate? And Pontius Pilate said, you need to start talking to me, buddy. Because if you don't start talking to me, I have the power for you to be crucified. And here's what Jesus said to him. Jesus responded. He said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. He said, it's the Father that put him there. And we too need to understand that. But is it always right to blindly follow the allegiance of the government? Not when it goes against God's clear truth. In the 1930s, 40s, you had a Nazi regime. You had people who would hide Jews in their homes. That was against the law. But it went against a greater law. And that was because Jews were being hurt, were being killed, being tortured. And that was a higher law. And so they hid them. And then you get into the Old Testament and you have the midwives. Remember in Egypt when they were in slavery it said they grew to such a high number that the Egyptians became afraid. And so Pharaoh came to the midwives and he said, here's what you're to do. When the baby's coming out, if it's a little boy, kill that baby. If it's a little girl, let the baby live. But the midwives, it, they obeyed God instead. As a matter of fact, I love this. This is from... Uh, Exodus chapter 1, and Pharaoh asked him, he said, why are you letting these little boys live? And they said, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. And they're healthy and strong, and plop, there's the baby. Too late, can't get there. And I love it in the Scripture here. It says, verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And then there's Daniel. Remember Daniel and his friends? And they're to bow down to this golden image. And they said, no way, we can't do that. And they said, well, you're going to be thrown in this fiery furnace if you don't do it. You guys remember the story. Well, here, here's, what, uh, here's what they said to him. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And He'll rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if He does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. In other words, if we burn up, it's okay. Our God will take care of us on the other side. But we know what happened, man. He looked down there and said, they got so close they burned up, they got too close. And looked down there, and three of them were down there, and there was a fourth guy that said, look like the Son of God. So man, Jesus was down there babysitting, just taking care of them down there. 
holding their hand, making sure they were safe. That's how God works. Then you come to the New Testament where they came to Peter and John. I love, I had learned Acts 4.13 years ago. I love it. Um, beautiful verse where it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And I love that. In other words, looked at her and said, what's the big deal? They just look like some old unschooled fishermen. They don't have nothing I'm afraid of. But then they took note. They've been with Jesus. Man, that's what I want. Don't you? Don't you want people to just say, Mark's been with Jesus. Ken's been with Jesus. Walter's been with Jesus. George's been with Jesus. Travis has been with Jesus. And I go on. I, man. Well, you know what? Because they'd been with Jesus, they were telling people about Jesus and they got in trouble. They said, there's a law against this. You can't tell people about Jesus. And so they brought them before the court. And then we, we read down um, about what happened there. Uh, this is Acts 4, beginning verse 18. It says, They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Jesus is in me. He's going to leak out, guys. I can't hold him in, you know. Secondly here, we talk about submitting to the government. We ought to be involved in our government. Now, all of you say, well, you know, does that mean you have to run for office? No, but if God gets a hold of you to do it, then you should. I'll tell you something we all can do to be involved is we can pray. I want you to listen. This is First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Guys, God wants us to pray for our government leaders and those in authority. And I don't do a great job of that. Maybe God will get a hold of me with this kind of message. We need to pray for those. Being a leader is not all it's cracked up to be. You get too much credit and too much blame. And so do they. We need to lift them up in prayer. You know the verses that follow that I love too. It says, for this pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That includes them. Do you pray for your government officials that Jesus will save them? That He'll change their hearts? That He'll get a hold of them? That's what needs to be done. And you know, authority's tough, you know, and I... See, you remind me today, I've always been one. It's certainly one of my sin, sinful deals. Is I've never been good with authority. God has to get a hold of me and jerk a knot in me every once in a while because I just, it's hard for me. This authority stuff's tough on old Todd. I guess I just like being, being boss and it's hard on me. But you know what? I need to listen to people above me. God tells me to do that and there's value in that, guys. I remember like with cops, man. I tell you what. It's a scary thing when I pass a cop. Does your heart ever go pitter-patter when you pass a policeman that's sitting there with that old radar gun? Do any of you guys ever speed? I got this sin called a lead foot. And I thought God had took it away, but He hadn't. It's still there. 
causes trouble and I get in trouble. I had uh, this one friend of mine years ago when I was about 17, 18 years old, Ray. Ray was on the police force. One time I was coming home and this police car got behind me, guys. And I got scared. I thought, what have I done? So I turned off in the subdivision. Well, the police car turned off. I said, uh-oh. So I turned right. The next street, police car turned right. I said, what's going on? I went down a few blocks, turned left. Police car turned left. I said, now this isn't funny, Lord. Went down street about 500 more yards, found another place, turned, turned. Police car turned again. So I just stopped. I said, this is it. I'm stopping. Well, police car stopped behind me. This guy, a friend of mine, Ray, got out laughing. I said, man, it ain't right. It ain't right. But why was I nervous? Because I have a propensity at times not to do what I should do, right? That's what happens. But we need to be involved. We need to pray for those people, guys. Uh, I want you to look down in verse 10 here. We see about someone... um, Who's corrupt that was looked over, I believe. It says, Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. You know, we don't know the true story behind this, but let's just assume this one buried was someone who was held in esteem in the community. Someone with some authority. But people really knew that although they carried an office... They didn't carry the right heart. You know, some of these funerals, preachers get up there and we say, man, that preacher's going to have to confess saying all that stuff about that guy. Because I know what he's really like. Talking about him going to heaven, talking about him having it all together, that's not the same guy I'm with. You know, that's like the funeral of this evil man, you know, he's up there and he's laying in the coffin and the preacher's saying all this good stuff. And his wife turns to the little boy and says, go up there and check and see if that's really Papa. <laughs> Not so sure. Hey, guys, I just throw this in because one of my favorite stories, you probably heard about two brothers who were wicked beyond belief, guys. And one of them tragically died. And the church they were in, man, it was growing. God was working a whole of them. They needed to go into a building program, but they were low on cash. So they're having this fun drive uh, to raise money to build a building. The brother knew this. He came to the preacher, he said, Came this young preacher and he said, I tell you what, preacher, I'll give you $50,000 toward that building fund if you'll say my brother was a saint. Preacher thought about it and said, I can do it. He goes, okay. So it came time for the funeral. The preacher got up there and he spoke and he said, this man, he was a wicked man. He cheated in his business dealings, ripped off everybody he came in contact with. He cheated on his wife. He was a no-good, dirty scoundrel. Nobody liked him. Man, he even kicked dogs and cats. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) We need to pray for those that God will change them, right? God will change them. Uh... You know, guys, as we look in verses 10 and then down through verse 11, it says, When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. 
Guys, when laws are not carried out, when those who commit crimes do not pay for those crimes, then the hearts of people are filled to do, with schemes to do wrong and to bring pain. Robert Frost once said that a jury is a group of people picked to see who has the better lawyer. And may a system be far more than that. That is not God's intent. And I want you to notice in that next verse that although it looks like wicked people get away with stuff, it's only for a season. He says in verse 12, Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. The shadow lengthens as the sun is about to go down. It says it's appointed for all men to die and then face judgment. Guys, the truth of the matter is we can all live any way we want, but it's for a season. We might think we're getting away with stuff, but we will face God. All of us will. It's just for a season, and then it's an appointment that we can't miss before the holy righteous judge, and there's only one... Way out of judgment. And that's Jesus. That's it. Guys, that's the way out. That's the way He works. Um, Alright, I want to look at the believer's position as I come near the end here. Uh, so what is the position? How, how are we to be involved in the government? Should we ignore it? I just let them go. Or should we say, you know, we get in those right officials, heaven's coming. You know, well... Both those are the extremes. and so I just want to give some principles as I close out here. First principle, and there's no perfect system of government. Verse 14, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. There's no perfect governments because there's no perfect people. And that's the way it is. As you look down through history, God set forth judges and it says at the end of the book of Judges, those that were appointed, it said everyone did what was right in his own eyes, not looking to God. You look at communism and the idea was everybody gets equal. We all share equally. The problem was the people in charge, when it came their turn, they said, I don't want to share equally, I want more. And so it flopped. And even in our land, where we have so much to be thankful for, there is corruption. There's just no perfect government. Second, we should make the best of what we have. Look at verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. Second thing, guys, is we need to have a burden for this land ours and this government and people. But we need to have fun. I mean, don't get so burdened and so heavy that you're just a bum to be around. Take time to stop and recognize what we do have. Take time to see the blessings that surround us. We still live in the greatest land. We're still blessed. And and guys, let's not forget that. Let's look to that. This is the fourth time so far in Ecclesiastes where he says, stop and see how you're blessed. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. Enjoy it, guys. Enjoy life. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Uh, And then the last thing here, the third one here I want to share, that God's working behind the scenes. Look at uh, 16 and 
17. Here's what close out 8. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun despite all his efforts to search it out. Men cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. Guys, sometimes we look at a situation and say, God must not be in that when He is. You know, years ago, our missionaries, when they went into China, they saw God working. There were known at that time 800,000 who loved Jesus. Then the communists came in. They tried to get rid of God. They tried to get rid of any mention, any semblance of a life that sold out to Jesus. And back here in the West, we were broken. We were burdened. We said, God, we've lost over there. All those people, they're not going to find you because we can't go over there and tell them about Jesus. It's the Lord, they're lost without any hope. You know what happened ten years later? Ten years later, they found estimates that it went from 800,000 believers, guys, to somewhere between 50 and 100 million believers. God loves you guys, but He doesn't have to have you. And He doesn't have to have me. He can do just fine without me. And guys, it, it's, it's important to understand, we don't always see everywhere that God's working, but He is, He's working. And we need to look for Him. I'm going to close with this story. Um, there was a couple. And they were all excited. Just got married. Headed out on their honeymoon. With that uh, vroom. We talked about that week. And uh, guys, they went in this hotel. Fancy hotel. They had the honeymoon suite. They went in the room. And you know, they were just all filled with love and everything. Came in that door. And they were like, I don't believe it. It was a small, cramped little room. No windows. And they're all sleep on was this bed. It was a pull-out bed. They came in there, pulled out this couch into a bed. Complained, grumbled. Spent that night there. Got up in the morning and had a crick in the neck. Back was hurting. Went right down to the manager and said, I don't believe this. Here we paid for the honeymoon suite and you gave us this little room with no windows and just a pull-out bed. I want my money back. This, this is a crime. And the manager said, Why didn't you open the door? He said, you mean that closet door? He said, guys, you spent the night in the foyer. He said, if you would have opened that closet door, you would have seen the room you paid for. He said, come with me. So he took the couple up upstairs, and you know they went in the room, went in the foyer, opened that what they thought was a closet door, and walked into this gorgeous room. Guys, had the most beautiful, breathtaking view, and they missed it because they didn't open the door. Guys, we are blessed beyond belief in Jesus Christ. Every promise is yes in Him, but are you missing it? Have you opened the door of Christ? Have you said, God, I want to walk through that in faith and have what you want me to have, God. I want to live for you. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want this crazy land that's hurting and broken to know Jesus. And and so, God, I'm going to open that door and I want to step in and enjoy what you have, God. And, And you know what? When you got Jesus, how can you lose, man? 
Even when you expire from this life, you head into real life where you're fully alive. I want to close with this quote that came from the guy who had this illustration. This was out of a commentary. We understand what Paul meant when he wrote. We groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. It is an inward angst. The sigh from the soul that says this world is out of joint, misspelled, limping. Something's wrong. The room is too cramped to breathe. The bed too stiff for rest. The walls too bare for pleasure. So we groan. It is not that we don't try. We do our best with the room that we have. We shuffle the furniture. We paint the walls. We turn down the lights. But there's only so much you can do with the place. Maybe you do need for me to tell. Maybe you need me to tell you it's okay. It's alright to groan. It's permissible to yearn. Longing's a part of life. It's only natural to long for home when you're on a journey. And we're not home yet. We're orphans at the gate of the orphanage awaiting our new parents. They're not here yet, but we know that they're coming. They wrote us a letter. We have not seen them yet, but we know what they look like because they've sent us a picture. We're not acquainted with our new house yet, but we have a hunch about it. It's grand. They've sent a description. So what do we do? We groan. We long for the call to come home until He calls, we wait. No sickness, no sorrow, no struggle. We stomp our feet. We shake our fist, forgetting that it is only... In heaven that such peace is found. We must be patient, but not so much that we don't yearn. We must be eager, but not so much we don't wait. We would be wise to do what those newlyweds never did. We would be wise to open the door. We'd be wise to stand in the entryway, gazing and gasping at the beauty of the room prepared for us, and then wait. Wait for the groom to come and carry us, his bride, over The threshold. That is what we're waiting for. Isn't it? Let's pray. God, thank you for being here today, God. Through such wonderful music, God. Prayer time. God, just a great time to have the church servants, the deacons to come before us, God. and Just to be able to say by their presence, we love Jesus and we love you. God, it's just a good day, Lord. And now is a time that You're working. And we ask, Father, that You might work and that Your Holy Spirit might just cover us, Lord. And that we might obey, God. You might be calling some to come to this altar to pray, God. You might be calling some to come forward to make a commitment before Your people and to say, uh, maybe, uh, I've never asked Jesus in my heart. I've never found the forgiveness that He provides. I've never been saved. And, God, I pray this is the moment. I pray that if anyone's out there, that they'd say, Jesus, forgive me, live in me, Lord, make me yours. For others, God, who maybe have drifted, God, bring them back. Bring them home, God. Lord, you love them, God. This is the time. This is the place, Lord. I just pray that they come in obedience to you. God, I just want you to have your way today, God. And so, Lord, um, I just want to step out of the way and I I just want you to work, Lord. And we'll trust you, Lord, as we stand, as we sing. May we come if you call, God. That's the the charge, Lord. Come if he calls. That's what we want to do, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.